Hello and welcome to ACS Chemical Biology's podcast for June 2011. I'm Jay Suarez, Managing Editor for the journal. This month, we highlight 15 research papers. This includes a paper by Berger Moller's group that reports the design of a synthetic light-driven system to stimulate activity of an important plant enzyme. Research from the lab of Alexei Kazantsev provides a significant breakthrough in drug development against Parkinson's and Huntington's disease. A study spearheaded by Carolyn Bertozzi provides a tool for monitoring a key post-translational modification in living cells. Darren Williams's lab offers an exciting innovation in mammalian limb regeneration. Matthew Boggio reports the development of a tool for visualizing a protease of high therapeutic importance. Research directed by Ralph Jouch identifies a novel inhibitor to a clinically significant transcription factor. Work from Philip Potter's lab reports compounds with enhanced anti-cancer properties. Tetsuo Nagano's group offers a new platform for designing more sensitive fluorescence imaging probes. The lab of Michael Mares provides a new strategy for anti-schistosomal drug development. Patrick Griffin and co-workers report the development of a compound that targets receptors implicated in cancer and diabetes. Alexander Mazin and colleagues describe the identification of novel compounds that target an enzyme involved in DNA repair. Adrian Witte and Laura Silvian provide a classic example of protein-protein interaction inhibition. Andrei Nikolaev's lab offers insight into the design of drugs against Leishmania parasites. And Kevin Dalby and Carla Vandenberg deliver a significant breakthrough in the fight against breast cancer. We'll also be talking to two of our authors later in the podcast, but now we'd like to highlight some interesting content you will find only on our website. To learn more about our authors of the manuscripts in the current issue, please see the Introducing Our Authors section on the web. This month, we feature 15 young scientists, Jeremy Baskin, Karen Dernert, Martin Horn, Fei Huang, Kenneth Jensen, Tamer Kaud, Yuichiro Koida, Dana Kurvia, Shreya Mitra, Kamesh Narasimhan, Margaret Pollock, Laura Silvian, Olga Sizova, Erong Song, and David Taylor. Read this section and get a younger chemical biologist's perspective on their research. We are now joined by Nicole Sampson and Kathy Parker at Stony Brook University, New York, author of the recent paper, Antibacterial Studies of Cationic Polymers with Alternating Random and Uniform Backbones. Hi, Nicole. Hi, how are you? Good, and hi, Kathy. Hi. So, Kathy, your manuscript published in the current issue of ACS Chemical Biology discusses an interesting way for developing new antibiotics in the form of antimicrobial peptides, or AMPs. So what are AMPs, and what makes them an attractive model for designing new antibiotics? AMPs are small peptides that function as one component of the native immune response. And they're exciting because they're different from other antibiotics. They interact with the bacterial cell walls by one or more mechanisms that lead to cell death. The interaction is thought to depend on a peptide conformation that puts cationic residues on one face and hydrophobic residues on another face. So one can picture the cationic peptide binding to an anionic membrane surface 
and disrupting either the structure or the potential gradient across the membrane. AMPs are an attractive model because they have a novel mechanism of action and because it's been relatively easy to vary their structures. So you report the development of second-generation AMP mimics in the form of synthetic polymers. What are the advantages of these synthetic polymers over first-generation AMP mimics? Okay, so native AMPs tend to be cytotoxic against the mammalian host. And in addition, they're susceptible to stability problems, for example, from proteases. Also, polypeptides have to be synthesized in a linear stepwise fashion in order to obtain desired sequences. So the native AMPs have some drawbacks. Now, in recent years, a large number of peptidomimetic scaffolds have been developed as a first-generation mimic to solve the cytotoxicity and instability problems of the AMPs. However, these mimetics still require stepwise syntheses. We and others have chosen ROMP polymers because they can be assembled with the desired architecture in a single step. So one-pot chemistry provides major savings in time and cost. Okay, so could you then briefly describe for us the overall design of these synthetic polymers? Sure. So from the AMP literature, we knew that the mimetics have to contain positive charges and hydrophobic groups. What we didn't know was precisely how much charge or how much grease or whether the spacing of the side chains was important. In an earlier paper, we described a powerful method for synthesizing ROMP polymers that display alternating side chains at regular intervals. This method uses monomers that are easy to prepare and easy to functionalize with a variety of side chains. As a result, for this study, we were able to test different spacings and different pairs of side chains with uniform spacing on a single polymer chain. Okay, so Nicole, did you test the potency of these polymers against pathogens? Yes, we did test the potency of the polymers. We tested them against both gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria. And we chose six single strains of the species that I'll mention in a moment because they are the strains used by all reference laboratories as controls. They are sensitive to most antibiotics, but they're the standards. So if I test your drug with a strain, the minimum inhibitory concentration that I measure would be the same in medical microbiology labs across the world. So what we found is that our best compounds were most active against gram-positives, Staph aureus, Bacillus cereceus, and two species of Enterococcus. And more importantly, we found that they were specific for bacteria versus mammalian cells. And what that means is we showed that they have low lytic activity against red blood cells, which are one of the most sensitive mammalian cell types. So these compounds, unlike the native AMPs, killed the bacteria better than they disrupt or kill the mammalian cell types. That's very interesting. So was there a correlation between the properties of the different polymers and their mechanism of action? The short answer is yes. The long answer is we made several different types of polymers. We used the alternating polymerization chemistry that Kathy just mentioned to make perfectly alternating copolymers. We also tested random copolymers to compare the relative activity. And then we made homopolymers that were just of a single repeating monomeric unit. And what we found is that a regular spacing between cations of at least eight angstroms made the best antibacterials. If we put the charges closer together, the polymers were inactive. If we added 
additional hydrophobic groups to the polymer backbone using the alternating polymer chemistry that actually lowered the activity of the polymers. And when we made the random polymers that had variable spacings between cations of 4, 8, or 20 angstroms, they were effective, but they had a lower efficacy than the regularly alternating, regularly spaced polymers. Oh, that's great. And I'm just curious as to the applications that you foresee for these cationic synthetic polymers. They can be used in a variety of different ways. What we envision is that they would be of interest as coatings, potentially in medical instruments or implants, but also bacteria cause a lot of problems in fouling surfaces, whether it be in your shower or on the underside of your boat. And they could potentially be incorporated into biologically active surfactants because, in a way, these polymers are a detergent themselves. One advantage that we see of using the alternating romp reaction is that it's very easy to incorporate anchoring pieces into the polymer as part of the polymerization process. So one could actually physically attach these polymers to a surface very readily through the chemistry. All of these applications have the potential to benefit from the regular spacing, and some of them will have the potential to benefit from alternating regularly spaced side chains. So that's where we're taking this work. Okay, that sounds great, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. We continue to describe chem-bioglossary terms on the air. This month's key term is fucosylation, which is the process of adding fucose sugar units to a molecule. Fucosylation is vital for cell signaling and embryonic development. For more information on fucosylation, please refer to the article by Carolyn Bertozzi's lab in the current issue of ACS Chemical Biology. That's it for this month's show. Join us again next month for more ACS Chemical Biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about the journal, please visit our website at www.acschemicalbiology.org. Thanks to all of you for listening.